What's up, everybody? This is Alternate Take, and I am your motherfucking host. Welcome back, bitches. On this episode, we brought you guys fucking thunder. Like Imagine Dragons and shit. That's what we brought you guys this episode, man. Um, and we did that by bringing you the 2020 MMA Coach of the Year. That's right, dude. We literally brought you the best MMA coach in the world. I don't think Eric will tell you that because uh, super humble guy. But I'll say it for him. I don't give a fuck. We brought you the best MMA coach in the world, Eric Nixick. Eric is the uh, gym manager at uh, Extreme Couture MMA and is the head trainer for uh, a lot of notable fighters. A lot of notable fighters, like you guys know, like uh, Aljermaine Sterling, Dan Ige, uh, Misha Tate for her comeback, and of course, the heavyweight champion, Francis Ngannou. So it was great talking to him, man. It really was, dude. Him, uh, you know, telling us how he got started in, in, uh, in coaching and his life before coaching and the decisions he made to get to where to where he's at now, which is the baddest motherfucker there is. So uh, I'm going to shut the fuck up and I'm going to let you guys listen to the great wisdom of Eric Nixick. So without further ado, I bring to you the great Eric Nixick. So for all the listeners out there, we got uh, the baddest MMA trainer in the motherfucking world, baby. We got <laughs> Couture, Eric Nixick, Mr. Mr. Nixick. How you doing, sir? Doing well, Danny. How are you, brother? Dude, everything's fine, man. It's out here and uh, slinging dick as best as possible, man. You know how it is. Not a boy. <laughs> Do it for us married guys, please. I'm, I'm trying, <laughs> man. I'm trying. I'm wearing Hawaiian shirts at fucking 930 in the morning and shit. You know what I'm saying? I like the vibe. Thanks, buddy. Thanks. Anyways, man. Um. I always start this off with my guests. I like to always get a little bit of background, um, mostly about like what you grew up first. Because I always feel like that shit's super important. You know, you have all these interviewers and they're a bunch of fake motherfuckers, man. Sorry, I get emotional sometimes. But that shit, that bugs me when they just go straight to your accolades now. When they're just like, yeah, so like, what did you, so yesterday you did this. Like, yeah, but you got to know what's, what the guy's story's about, man. So tell me a little bit about your upbringing, man. Where, where'd you grow up and all that good stuff? Yeah, man. Uh, well, I like the, that angle, too. I mean, I, I enjoy the process more than the product. So I, I like where you're getting at with that. But, uh, you know, I'm born and raised in Vegas. I'm a third generation Las Vegas born native. Um, so I come from a, a long line of coaches uh, lineage through football. My dad was uh, my defensive coordinator. My uncle is our linebackers coach. My other uncle was the dean. Um, my dad's uncles were one was the head coach for the Cleveland Browns. One was a coach for the Redskins. Oh, so um yeah, so football and, and coaching lineage has uh, you know been th- been through my blood for a long, long time, man. So, um, kind of you know just Vegas for me has always been a very small town. It's a small town in a big city. You know, you, you kind of know everybody. Um, you know your roots. You understand that you know everybody assumes your mom's a showgirl and your dad's a dealer. You know. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so yeah, Vegas, man, is um, you grow up quick. You, you start to understand things. I think at a very young age. And uh, you, you, you also understand that there's a lot of opportunity in Vegas if you if you're able to kind of uh, wrestle the demons, if you will. Like I think people that might have uh, some some issues, I think Vegas will chew them up and eat them out, um, spit them out. So uh, I think when you're born and raised in Vegas, you can you have this sense of pride about uh, making it, if you will. Like you survived. <laughs> you survived oh, yeah. Vegas, uh, you know, so. 
um, yeah, I mean, that's really it for me. I, I you know, I played football. Um, that was kind of my upbringing. Went out and played a uh, ball out in Utah, came back home. And then, um, you know, I was pursuing a career in the fire service. I was uh, doing my paramedics tested for uh, County city, North Las Vegas, got hired by all three departments. Uh, didn't know which one I wanted to kind of go to. And then, um, you know, I was training over at Randy's gym and, you know, he offered me the, the, the gym manager role and that position. And, you know, I ran a call and, um, you know, it just was something to where, like, I didn't know if I wanted to do this for the rest of my life and see what I was seeing and looking at my surroundings and understanding, like, man, like all these guys that I work with are all divorced, they're all alcoholics, they all have these issues. And, you know, uh, although like the retirement, the pension, all the big things were right in front of you, I was thinking about the long term and kind of what I wanted to do. And I, I decided to double down on myself and take over the gym and start running the team the way I wanted to run it. And, you know, so here we are today. Wow, man. That's crazy. You're like, fuck fires, man. Hey, thank you guys for your service, but I'm going to train some pillars over here. I'm done. I'm done with this shit. Yeah, man. And that's, a, that's a misnomer about the fire department. A lot of times like you're not really ever on any fires. It's like, you're just running paramedic calls all day and yeah, you know, yeah. so it was, it was rough, man. Having my, my first daughter, she's 13 now, but we ran a call and it was like just something that I was thinking to myself on my way home after having my daughter kind of changed my outlook on life, you know, like life didn't really seemed the same way until I had my daughter. And then I was like, man, this is different. Like you understand the fragility of life. And, you know, that's when I had that kind of epiphany. It's like, man, do I want to do this for, for 30 years? <laughs> you know, yeah, I don't know man. if this is for me, man. Straight up, so. You can get some fucked up shit out there, man. My, uh, my dad's a copper and he, and he told me some story, uh, years ago is that he's like, he was like, almost like he was emotional, but he was mad. It was like, it was weird. It was kind of like, you ever see when your dad, when he's mad, but he's also crying too. You're like, this is the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. For uh, sure, man. And you know, and that, that's, you start to see the underbelly of what your city actually looks like. And you're like, man, oh, yeah. you're, for, you're, you're, you're the first line of defense, you know? Yeah, man. You see some fucked up shit, but, um, you said you played football, man. That's fuck. That's great. You played in Utah. You said, yeah. 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 I was out in Utah for a couple of years and enjoyed it, you know, and, you know, I went to a, I went to a division one school to start. And then I think it was just too much for me. You know, I was a young kid. I graduated early. I graduated at 17. Um, you know, so a lot of the schools that where I wanted to go, I wanted to go. I was going to go to Wisconsin, decided to stay closer to home. And then, um, you know, just didn't work out for me in Reno. I just got in too much trouble and just kind of a young, dumb kid. So going to a small school where football was the emphasis and you had a lot of eyes on you. So it was like, you know, you couldn't fuck up. You couldn't do anything stupid. Yeah. And you really focused on, on your development and your talent. And that paid off a lot for me, but moreover, like, I think it springboarded me into that kind of the coach that I am today because I was around, like, you know, I still talk to a lot of the coaches that I was involved with still to this day, because I think it's important that they understand that their lineage is still carried on through players and athletes like myself, you know? So when a coach writes me, is like, man, I'm so proud of you got coach of the year, you know? And I always tell him like, well, part of that coach of the year should go to you too. Like I learned some of those things and some of those principles through, through your guys' lineage, you know? Wow, man. Yeah, that's true, dude. You know, what's funny, man, is the best coaches ever always had hiccups in their own playing careers. Always. They weren't, they weren't like these stars like that that were the best in the league for the longest time. And then turn into it just, that's not their, in their DNA, man. You, the Tommy Lasorda's, all these other guys, man, like that, you know, Phil Jackson fucking sucked dick. No one ever says that. That guy sucked. Shit. Yeah. Not good at basketball, but yeah. look, best damn coach that's ever lived in basketball. So, you know, it's a, it's funny, man, how it plays out. Like the guys that were like, you know what, man, if I can redo it, I would have done this differently. And I, and I would have made it farther maybe in my career. But then you're like, you know what? I'm glad I did it. Like, fuck, I'm a, now I'm a, I'm a badass coach, man. I learned all those lessons and I can, I can utilize them. Yeah, man. Yeah. 
it's beautiful, dude. Um, uh, and you said like your, your dad was a coach all those years. Is he still coaching? No, he retired actually. Uh, I think it was like two years after there was like a lot of politics that went on at, at our high school, super silly stuff, you know, yeah. it, it was, it's unfortunate because, uh, I think politics and parents and sometimes when it comes at the high school level discourages a lot of good coaches and even good athletes. Like, you know, it was weird. Cause we had to, we, we won six state championships in a row in baseball and we were very good in football but the baseball coach and the football coach hated each other. So could you imagine if you intertwine some of that talent together, like, you know, and, and, and then, and then again, the politics get in the way. So it was always silly. My, my dad just got tired of it. It wasn't about the sport anymore. It was about pleasing parents and boosters and doing all this shit. And, you know, he was over. So my dad is the first non head coach to get inducted into Nevada state hall of fame. He was never a head coach. He was always a defense coordinator. Wow. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty cool. So, you know, he was epic, dude. That's fucking crazy, man. Yeah. You yeah. know, what? it's interesting about that kind of thing, man. You, especially nowadays, man, I, how, how do you deal with that with the parents and shit? I feel like it's a little bit easier maybe with MMA because they're already know in advance they're putting their kids in some pretty harsh stuff. But with football and baseball, oh my God forbid, man, it's fucking, you want to treat little Johnny fucking bananas over here with the biggest, you know, like make sure he plays second base. Well, he fucking sucks. He's, he's sitting on the bench. Like, you know, it's, and then you got to appease them. But how's it dealing with you? Like with uh, getting the trust of the parents and whatnot? Well, it's tough because I ran the kids program at Extreme Couture for like a year and a half. And, um, you know, it's hard because every parent feels like they're a black belt or they know better or they're this or they're that. And, and really for me, it was like understanding once you set a standard and you put the standard across the board and the parents understand what the standard is, then everybody follows suit. And if you buck that standard or if you're, or if you cause any problems, then we just, then you're just out. Like uh, to me, like one bad apple is not going to ruin the bunch. And I tell people that all the time. Like if you're a coach and, and there's a parent or a fighter or a member that is, um, disrupting or making it harder for you, you have the right to kick anybody out of that gym because you have to make it where you got to think about it this way. I've, I've dealt with it with my daughters in dance where we've seen parents leave a dance studio because one bad parent. So this one parent is paying for this one membership, but what is it actually costing the studio? 10 people are leaving because of it, you know? So right. sometimes you just have to make sure you understand you, you have a standard and set that standard. And if there's any issues, get the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> I know, dude, I remember my, um, my dad used to do that. He used to coach my sister's uh, softball teams when we were kids. And I remember that was one of the things he would like have a team meeting before the year and like, all right, and you tell the parents and you tell them straight up. It's like, if any of you guys talk shit, your kid's not playing. I'm telling you right now, if you talk shit, cause I'm the best coach here. I know what the fuck I'm doing. And I'm your kid's going to play and they're going to get out bats. But if you talk shit, I'm like, why is that? Then I'm going to sit the kid and you can go play on another yeah. team. And then you set the yeah. stand right, right away. People go, all right, all right. I'll probably shut up and let, let, let him do his thing. He knows what he's talking about. Yeah, exactly. That's, that, that's just it. Nip, nip it in the bud right away. And you understand the standard. And if there's a problem, execute the standard. <laughs> I love it, man. So uh, how'd you, how'd you get the trust of, of uh, Randy Couture to, to start running the gym and all that, man? I mean, you must've been a bad motherfucker be training there and be like, you know what, run my stuff. Well, so I, I started training with Randy when he was getting ready for Tim Sylvia. The, the gym wasn't really open yet, but um, what I was missing, man, after football was, you know, it wasn't necessarily the sport itself, but it was the camaraderie. It was being around like athletes and like-minded individuals and guys that had, um, you know, more than, more than healthy mindsets, I guess it was the best thing to say is like these dudes were using their bodies and their physicality to, um, to, to, to accomplish their goals where, you know, I felt like, um, I was missing that. I just missed being around that sport. And, um, so I, I, I came to the gym just kind of on a whim, man. And, and started Randy's like, well, we're not open yet. So I'm actually member number one at extreme couture. No, so I'm the first, I'm the first member there. So I, that's, that's, that's kind of how I started, man. I was just a member at extreme. 
um, a year in a year in, I, I got a coaching position. I was, I had one class a week as a grappling coach there. And I just kind of um, just catapulted it from there. And every little nook and cranny and turn of, of the sport, I would just grab Ray Cepho. I would grab Dennis Davis and then, you know, Vinny, whoever I could, man. And just like, teach me this. And I want to learn this. I want to learn how to hold pads. So, you know, I, I remember um, we had a coach there and he had said like, he used the word specialty coach. He's like, well, I'm a specialty coach. I, I don't do pads or I don't do that. And I saw an opportunity there where he, he, he kind of pigeonholed himself in an opportunity where I'm like, well, if you're just a specialty coach and you go on the road as a fighter, then you have to bring three other coaches because one coach can't hold pads. One coach can't do jujitsu. Well, I want to do it all. I want to be able to, if you have to go on the road as one coach, you can bring one guy with you as a fighter and go, this guy can wrap my hands, hold my pads, wrestle, grapple, do everything at the highest level and, and just making yourself a, a better commodity. That's kind of what, what um, made my emphasis going, all right, I want to learn everything the best that I can. Yeah, man. And not only that, dude, as a fighter, I want a trainer who wants, who wants to have the whole package too. I want, I want a trainer who's put, it's like meeting a woman. Why would I want to meet a woman who's like, yeah, I'm only got a fucking sucking dick. Hey, well, I want you to have a personality too. I want you to have a good family. I want you to have a good like upbringing. And I want you to have, I want you to have everything. It's the same shit. Yeah, and, they, and they wonder why you're not marrying them. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. And same thing with the trainer. They wonder why you're not picking them as their trainer now. I'm like, well, because you didn't, you didn't make yourself well-rounded, blah, blah, blah. And you know, so that's good, man. I, I really do. Uh, I really do respect that, man. And when you were there, who was, who was your first, do you remember your first uh, fighter that you started training? Uh, well, first fighters I started training was, was really Dennis Davis. Who's also my coach. So what happened was like, Dennis was coaching so much and that him and I were training so often together that like, we ended up just going on the road together. We were so busy. I mean, we're so busy now, but in the early heydays, of course, at Extreme Couture in like 2008, 2009, you know, it was like, that was kind of the MO was you didn't really take a coach. Maybe one coach would come on the road with you every once in a while, but most part, dude, it was training partners. So like Mike Pyle was cornering, you know, Jay Heron and Jay was cornering Gray. And, you know, so all of us were on the road handling each other kind of thing. So that's really where you cut your teeth was, was with, with your guys on the road and understanding like how the weight cuts work and how the commissions work and all that stuff. So we really like Dennis Davis, Gil Gordado, um, Jimmy Jones was like young up and coming guys. And then Martin Kentman gave me my first opportunity as far as um, UFC goes. And then Ray Cepho gave me my first opportunity to coach run his head camp. So wow. um, yeah, it was those guys kind of let me break in and um, you know, Brad, Brad Tavares has been, with me for a long, long time. I think I've cornered 13 or 14 fights with Brad. So those guys really let me, allowed me to uh, get my foot in the door. That's beautiful, man. How, how happy are you that it's all back now? The fans are back. It's the energy's fucking back, man. Was it, was it a, was it a notable difference for you in your opinion to see, uh, for your fighters? Like, did you see their energy be a little bit different Were some fighters okay with it or were some fighters a little bit just bothered by it? Yeah, you can see guys come out a little flat. Um, I I'm, I'm actually really proud of our camp and our team because we, we prepared very well for that when we fought in Jacksonville, you know, we, 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 you know, obviously the gyms were closed, but we were still training. It was just a very select group of us. We're going to the shrink tour and, you know, we would have sparring sessions and I would just turn the music off and it was, it sucked. It felt weird. The vibe was off, but I was like, listen, guys, we're going to have to start training like this because we're going to have zero, zero noise. Um, we want to start training ourselves as far as coaches goes, because the judges will also hear all your dialogue. So if I'm panicked, if I'm frantic, if I'm this, if I'm that, the judge to my right and the judge to my left pick up on that energy. So we have to make sure we start training ourselves to speak positive, um, 
to, to kind of politic, if you will, to the judging also, because it's going to be very, very quiet in there. Um, we also have to come up with better code words and things like, Hey, just, you know, throw it across. Well, now your guy hears the other guy hears it too, of course. Right. Right. So, and, and they could probably hear it in a fight as well, but uh, it just made you think a little bit more outside the box. And and I was very proud of our team. We went to Jacksonville and went three and oh, but man, it felt flat, man. Like Francis goes out there and knocks out Jarzinho and it was just like you're waiting for this crowd to erupt and the the you know the place to blow off and then you're just like it was crickets, dude. It was actually kind of unnerving in a lot of ways because you're like, oh, dude, did I just see a murder? Like, <laughs> like oh shit, this shit's you violent. <laughs> yeah, and then and my fucking my dumbass, I like jump up and I'm like, go look at that motherfucker. He asked for this, and I was like, oh shit, like I'm. Everybody can hear me. <laughs> Everybody can hear me. And I never, I never want to show anybody up, man. Like I just was excited for my boy. And you know, you got, we did fourteen or fifteen weeks of camp with the pandemic and the delays and everything else. So I got the living shit kicked out of me for fifteen weeks. So I was most excited to see Francis finish that guy the way he did. You know, <laughs> so oh, I man. felt bad. I was like. Sorry, guys. I didn't mean to yell like that. <laughs> Everybody can hear me. <laughs> That's uh, phenomenal, man. That's beautiful. Well, speaking of that, man, tell me about the uh, the whole process with Francis fighting Stipe, man. I'll tell you, what, I was in Vegas actually for that. I didn't go to the fight, um, but I was like, you know, I'm gonna be in Vegas. I want to see what the atmosphere is like, man. It was, it was, it was cool, man. It was beautiful. I actually, I'm not gonna lie to you though. I bet on Stipe because we had we had the cinematographer for Stipe here uh, on the podcast about like three weeks before and he was hyping him up and I was like, fuck it. I was drunk and I was like, I'm betting it. Fuck. I'm doing yeah. it right now. But, um, I don't have a, I don't have a horse in the race, man. I just wanted to, I just want to watch a good fight. Dude. Tell me about that yeah. leading up to that fight, man. I mean, dude, I loved every minute of it. And I think this is like the, the, why you get in the sport is this opportunity. You know, um, I, I've been involved in, in quite a few title fights now. Um, I've won one with Lance Palmer. Uh, we lost one with Vinny. I lost with Jessica. I, I lost with Joe Benavidez. And then so for, and then I won with Aljamain one, you know, we had the Aljamain fight and then we had Francis. So, um, man, I, I just love the prep work. I love, um, you know, just, just really like breaking down the film and studying and figuring out how we want to beat this guy strategically rather than just kind of a bull in a China closet. Um, you know, just, just everything, bro, from the feet to the floor just excited me. And, and, uh, and that's what we did, man. We, we sat down as a team and, we uh, dissected everything that we could and, and put it out on a plate. And, you know, the thing with Francis is you have to, you have to explain to him the reasons why we're doing things because it w- which makes sense. Like if you, if you were talking to a four-year-old or a five-year-old and they just want to know why, why does it work this way? And they understand the, the mechanisms and the way that it works and what's going to benefit them by doing something, then it resonates with them. They're like, if, Hey man, if I, if I need you to throw this particular punch here, here's why we're doing it. And he goes, ah, okay, I get it. Right. So that was a fun part of the process was um, I think really just, just overall development of all of our fight IQ and situational awareness and trying to, trying to really get that dialed in for Francis. And I think you saw that on that night. Oh yeah, dude. It, it was, I'm telling you, man, I was at a bar and it it erupted, man. It was, it was beautiful, man, because I mean, the first fight, it, it was, it was just, pure tactician you know it was it was steep a utilizing his wrestling and, and and kudos to him man it was phenomenal but um to see and train the way he did for this for this last one and to and to utilize all your lessons man and, and wow and he looked fucking scary dude like i mean he always looks scary it's Ngannou, but he looked fast like his hands like the way he was punching i was like oh shit, he didn't punch like that before 
He didn't nah, have man. a crisp technique. Like his, his punches were short and crisp. They're like Tyson punches. And I was yeah. like, Oh my God, man. Like his boxing has come a long way, dude. Well, it's really benefited us a lot in the regards of him going out and getting these fast finishes. So, you know, he, he came to extreme couture after the Derek Lewis fight. So his first fight with us was uh, Curtis blades too. And all of these fights, so Blades, it was Kane, it was JDS, Jarzinho. All these fights were just him walking through people. But what a lot of people don't understand, there's been a lot of development in his skill set in those camps. Now, what we get to see as a public or just with the, 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 the blind eye is just what happens, the product in the cage. But there's so much going on with him and his growth inside the room that we all get to see. So, um, you know, I think when the odds makers and the doubters and the people and deservedly so like to me, it's like, Hey, you can do stuff in the room. I have guys in the room that are absolute killers that can't fucking fight a lick. Yeah. The lights come on and then completely vice versa. You know what I mean? So, um, I get all that and I get that criticism. You have to go out and execute it, but where his development has really shined, man, is, has been his wrestling. He's been working his ass off. So we had a good meeting. Um, I think it was after Kane or uh, one of the fights. And, and I just said, man, like, you know, what, what are, what are the things that you're afraid of? And he said, man, I, I'm, I'm just afraid I'll, I'll get out wrestled. And I said, well, if you feel like that, why don't we just double down on our weaknesses and start really working on that area? Because if you cover that one thing, we called it the boogeyman. I go, that's the boogeyman that scares you under the bed. What happens when you conquer that fear? And he's like, there's no more boogeyman. I go, that's right. You own the fucking boogeyman. So you become the boogeyman motherfucker. Like there ain't nobody out there that's going to fucking hurt you. So I go, think about that. Like every, every day that you're in here working, I go, how hard, how much harder can you punch? He's like, I don't think much more. So I go, so why, why work on, why work on more just same power techniques and same this and same that let's work on shortening up your, or, or making your punches longer or more crisper or doing this and more accurate. You know, and I told him, I was like, I seen guys hit a 400 foot home run and a 500 foot home run. It don't fucking matter. It's still a home run, bro. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's all the same. Man. Just, just hit a home run, motherfucker. So that's you know, a good analogy. Out of your shoes, you know. So he understood all that, and and man, like credit to Dewey and and the rest of the team, and we we really put together a good product. Uh, you know, I think the big thing for us now is um is to stay hungry. You know, don't don't get a full stomach, man. You know, we we worked really hard to get here, and now I think the the really the process begins now, and and making sure we keep that same energy, that same thought process. You know, the goal wasn't to win the title; the goal is to be the best to ever do it. Yeah, man. And honestly, I, it seems very likely to be honest with you, man. I, I know, I know the John Jones things in the works and um, I, I don't even know how the fuck I, I have a feeling that Vegas might put that guy as like the favorite. And I think that's ridiculous. Like, I, I don't know how Francis wouldn't be. I, he should be if, if they don't. But uh, I mean, that's something everyone's looking forward to, man. I especially me. I can't wait for that, man. That's me. Beautiful, dude. Um, me too. Tell me about uh, Al Jermaine a little bit on uh, his comeback a little bit. Cause I know, yeah, there was, like you said, there was a little bit of drama on this last fight. Uh, is there going to be a rematch? What's going on? Yeah, we're, we're, we're hoping for November, December sometime. He's, he's just getting back into training. He's kind of eased in. Um, man, like, it's, it's, it's such a shit, shit thing that the way that everything went down because he's such a character guy, man. And, like, there's so many really, really good stories I can tell you about the kid. Like, you know, he, the, the day, our last day of sparring, he gets done sparring and, and he goes over and grabs the mop and bucket and starts cleaning the mats because he used the cage last, which, you know, granted like that's something that you 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 should do right but like he could have had somebody else do it he didn't have to do it himself but he takes responsibilities for his space his, his teammates um his gym and man he's he's just a class act and he's a great character um you know i was out of town for a fight one day 
he was, uh, he was in the gym, but he wasn't training that day. So he hits me up and asked me if you can go coach. I was like, yeah, man, go ahead, go in there and go coach. He's like, I'd like to show some stuff and hop on the mats and give back and do this. And I'm like, please do man, hop in there and, and do your thing. So he's just a really, really good dude, man. Very hard worker. Um, you know, the fight in itself, I think, um, obviously the pace started really fast and, and Aljo was getting after him really fast and he's been able to kind of set that pace in the gym. And I thought he was going to be able to kind of stay with it. Um, and then we started to see that fade. So it gave us a little bit of an insight and idea on how we want to approach the second fight. Um, you know, unfortunately the fight ended the way it did, you know, I've known Piotr Jan for a long time. I've worked with him. He's a great kid. I don't think he was trying to be malicious. I think it was just a, a slip up in judgment. And, you know, at the end of the day, bro, these guys are going to run it back. And I think it's going to be fucking fireworks. Oh, dude. Yeah. I, I think so too. I, I don't think it was uh, out of malice. I think he just, yeah, like a fucking, just an accident. I think like he got the, let, he let the best get the best of him and he, and he fucked up, but I don't think he's a bad dude or anything like that. And you're right, dude. I think it's going to be real fireworks. The next time I fight, that's one of the best fights everyone's looking forward to right now, man. 100%. For sure. And they're doing a good job of hyping it up. Those two, you know, oh, hell yeah. forth, all the time. Hell yeah. that's, you know, that's uh, the game and ship out of Aljo for sure, man. Yeah, good stuff. Now, um, you're on the comeback team for Misha Tate as well, right? Yes. That's phenomenal, man. How's that been going, dude? She looks like she's in the best shape. I, she looks fucking insane right now, dude. Bro, I, I mean, she sparred yesterday, and I don't want to give a lot of the details away, but, dude, she looked incredible. And Again, I mean, it's training, and, and it's it's I, I understand that, but um, what it does for her confidence and what I got to see yesterday out of her, you know, she sparred, and then I hopped on a plane and came out to Atlantic City, so – um, we were able to kind of sit down and, and dissect and looked at like the tape and man, she looked great. She, her confidence is, a, is, a, is at an all time high. And, you know, I've known Misha a long, long time. I've, I've been involved, um, with her camps and seeing a lot of the turmoil that she had to have to go through, um, in the past and just seeing her in a, in a, not a, a good place, a fucking great place. Like she's in a great mindset. Um, a little backstory, man, I, I held pads for her the week before she left for Raquel Pennington, her last fight in the UFC. And, uh, dude, she just wasn't there, man. And like, we actually like, we were hitting the pads and I can feel her like just, she just wasn't there. And I kind of stopped the pads and I just sat her down. I was like, Hey, are you, are you okay? And she damn near broke down crying. And I could just see all this, like, just like weight carried on her, you know, and the stress and just bullshit. And I, I, I knew she never told me she was going to retire. Um, then, but when she lost the fight and she retired, I, I felt like that talk to me was like, Hey, this is it. Like, I'm, I'm going to hang it up. And I remember saying to her, um, I said, Hey, when, you know, maybe eventually all this shit will clear away. And when you come back with a clear conscience, you know, you're going to make a good run at this. And I, and I, I, I really meant that to her. So four years come by, you know, and a couple kids and uh, she's with one of my best friends, you know, Johnny Nunez is uh, one of my best buds and I coach Johnny as well. So She's just in a really good headspace right now. She's really working hard. She has a great support system around her. And man, I'm just looking forward to see her get back in there. Yeah, dude. Me too. I'm, I, I can't wait, man. She looks like a fucking, she's posting all of her videos and I'm like, oh my gosh, she's going to fucking kill someone in, in this next fight. She looks fucking good, man. She looks sharp. She, she can crack, dude. She's fucking yeah. throwing. She's hitting hard and she's doing all the right things. And that's, that's what's important. And you know, when, when we put her back in the room, she did it right. She came back in, but anytime she was in town, she always trained. So it wasn't like she, she surprised anybody. So she was in back in and training. She never, she never missed a beat. Um, and then she kind of eased her way in and I saw her at more and more practices. And then finally I started poking at her. I was like, Hey, I was like, you trying to make a little comeback here or what? Like jokingly. And she kind of winks at me and I was like, Oh shit. All right. All right. You know, I didn't know if it was for one or if we're going back to the UFC or what the deal was, but, uh, 
she gave me that wink, like fucking didn't say anything, but I know me, you know, and I was like, all right, we're about to scrap. So <laughs> fucking awesome, man. Yeah. Uh, so <clears throat> that moment where, she, where you can sense that there's something about like, there's something fading. How do you, how, how do you, do you have just a naturally good sense on that? I feel like coaches always do like, cause there's some guys like it's the suck it up approach is the best. Hey man, suck it up. Stop being a bitch. Come on. Like bear down. And then actually works for them. They're like, fuck yeah. They get excited and they're like, and they work harder. But that moment seemed a little bit different. That was one of those coaching moments where you're like, ah, no, that's not going to work here. I have to actually sit her down. And go, hey, are you okay? How is that like a natural thing you have? You think that's a coaching lineage from your family or what? Um, I, th I think it's just a product of just being around people for a long, long time. You know, um, you know, I, I ran a bar for, for a number of years while I was going to school and, and, and just, just interactions is my point, right? Like, especially when you're running medical calls, you have to get information from people. Sometimes they have altered mental status, they're diabetics, they're alcoholics, they're on drugs, you know, and, and just really communication, right? And for me, I know my fighters. I've been around them long enough to where I know what they need to hear. I know where they're at in their lives. I know maybe where their wives or their, their husbands are pulling them one way or the other. So you really have to have the pulse of your fighter. You have to understand who and what they are and what they're about and, and where they're at in their career. So, you know, sometimes for me, it's not necessarily, I think where, where coaches maybe get it mixed up is they, 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 they put themselves in front of the fighter. And at the end of the day, like I want like these, these men and women to be better people when they're done with this sport, right? Like the wins and losses are going to come and go, but when we're done, like, I want you to be a good human being. So, you know, I, I just knew there she was hurting. And I knew that, you know, at that moment, she just needed fucking comfort, right? Like she just needed something that, you know, and then there's other guys where, you know, and there might be going through a hard time. You got to slap them in the ass and get, get them going and, and rev them up. But really you just have to know your situation and, and know your fighter and know what, what their needs are in that moment. Yeah. You know, I saw that with the, with the Ige fight, I saw that, man, you're getting uh, juiced up in the last, uh, last two rounds there, man. I was getting just, I was doing jumping jacks and shit. I was like, <laughs> Nick's are getting fun, man. Oh shit. Tell me about, uh, yeah. tell me about that fight, man. Yeah, man. You know, you know, Dan and I, he's, he's my pride and joy. You know, I'm not, I'm not afraid to say that. Um, you know, he's, he's a guy that I've been working with for a long, long time through the regional scene and, and the guy that I wouldn't say I built from scratch or anything like that. Like Dan came to me with, with already with a good talent. But, um, you know, the development, I think, between me and him and the synergy that we have is, um, is, is, is something else, man. Like, there's, there's nothing better than getting Dan Ige in the, in the stool and on the, in the corner because I know what I'm going to get out of my guy, you know. And unfortunately, in that fight, uh, Korean Zombie found, a, found a, a clear path to victory, and that was by, by the wrestling and the takedowns and getting to the back. And he it was very smart. It was very tactical. Had I been on the other side of that, I would have done the same thing. Have I, that's my goal is my job as a coach is to find the clear path to victory. I don't care how you win. The goal is to get the win. So once I've kind of felt like that was their clear path, we had to make some adjustments and try to figure out a way to, to nullify the wrestling and get his mind right to understand that, Hey, there's still opportunity for you to win. And then when we get down to the fifth round and obviously you need a home run, you need a, you need a walk off home run, you need a grand slam. Right. Um, there's a lot to be for me to um, basically carry over. And this came from football, right? Like you end, you end the fourth quarter, um, on a high, you want to end at the fourth quarter, like with, with some confidence going into your next game. Right. So that was kind of my mindset going into round five. Yes. I understand we need to finish here, but we're fighting for a little bit of pride. 
We're fighting for this next fight that we're going to come into. We're going to build on some good things off of this round to go carry us over into the next fight. So that was the information I was trying to get across to him. And, uh, you know, man, I'm always proud of the kid. He busts his ass. He's one of my favorite guys, human beings to be around. And you can't say enough good things about the kid. I love it, man. <clears throat> do, you, uh, do you know Rudy Hernandez by any chance, the cut man? I know Rudy, yeah. Yeah, he's the man, dude. We've had him on twice now. Uh, dude, it's funny backstory. He he was actually training um, back in the day when his brother was fighting for boxing, Chicanito, and he was he was helping out the local police departments uh, in, uh, I think, Bell Gardens, all the whole, the whole area. And um, that's, how, that's how my dad ran into him as a kid. My dad was like 25 or something like that. He's like, hey, man, like, I'm just a kid from East L.A. I'm just trying to learn some shit. They're yeah. right. We taught him how to box. And like 20 years later, I remember my dad mentioned, like, I know that guy. He's like, he used to train me when I was. So I got in contact with him. We had a fucking two interviews now. That I mean, I think like three now. But he's the man, dude. I'll, I'll hit him up. And it's fucking hilarious, dude, because he knows everything about boxing. But when it comes to MA, he's just like, I don't even know who's fighting. And he's, he's, <laughs> he's at every one of these fights, man. I swear to God. And I'm like, oh, how was it? And he's like, who? And I'm like, the fight. He's like, oh, yeah, it was cool. You know, it was a good, good fight. It's, it's, it's hilarious, man. I don't get this. Yeah. He's seen he's seen so many of them, <laughs> dude. It's hilarious. He's like, well, I don't even know the guy's name. I'm just it's good money. And I'm like, you're fucking yeah. serious, man. You're yeah. But anyways, man. Um, dude, thanks for coming on the show, dude. I really appreciate it, man. This is a uh, this has been fun, dude. It's really fun to start interviewing all these MMA guys and whatnot, and uh, and to get going down this road. I'm actually I'm gonna start training at a uh, 10th Planet Orange in July, and I'm depressed. That's awesome. Yeah, no, no, it's cool, but I fucking hate jujitsu. I I <laughs> I don't like being next to someone all close and shit. I just know yeah. it's important. So like you got to learn it. You can't be like a fucking floppy dick outside in public when you don't know how to defend yourself. Um, but it's a good start, you know, take, take yeah, it. It's a, it's a great, it's a great gym, man. Actually one of my good buddies, Casey Halstead, um, is part owners in all those gyms in 10 planet. And, you know, coach Casey has a great program. He's not, I'll find out who runs the one out there and I'll write you, but, um, I, I think it's Rob Ron Turner or something. I can't remember, but, um, you know, they have a, they have a great, um, Really, man, when you join a, a gym, and yes, obviously the jiu-jitsu is important, but it's also the camaraderie, right? It's the people. You 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 gain a lot of, um, you know, just connections. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of benefits out of out of going out and stepping outside your comfort zone and going into a gym and and really just uh, learning. Hell yeah, man! Wish me luck. I'm gonna suck ass, but fuck it, man. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta go out there and take body, it, man. Go get it. That's it, thanks, man. Anyways, uh, Eric Nixick, thanks for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it. And good luck to the rest of your career, my, man. My pleasure, Danny. Thanks, brother. We'll talk to you soon, bro. All right, brother. Peace All out. Right, later. And there it is, dudes. Our interview with the best MMA coach in the motherfucking world, Eric Nixick. Thanks again to Eric for uh, coming on the show, man. I really appreciate it for you to take time to sit down with this, this fucking moron. And uh, and talk some fight game, man. It was it was a great time, dude. Uh, I can't wait to see what happens with Francis going forward. You know, with Dan Ige and and the rematch with uh, Aljamain and uh, Piotr Jan, and then Misha Tate's comeback. It's unbelievable, man. It's I think everyone's looking forward to all of that. So uh, thanks again, man, for coming on the show. If you are in the Las Vegas area, you're a fucking moron if you're not going to Extreme Couture MMA. You want to learn to be a beast like the heavyweight champion of the world? Francis Ngannou, then go to Extreme Couture MMA. Stop fucking around, okay? Don't fuck come to me and start crying like, oh, my God, Danny, I'm in public and I feel like a bitch because I don't want to fight anybody. That's because you're not going to Extreme Couture MMA. Get your fucking head out of your ass. So uh, I put a link in the in the podcast description of uh, Eric's Instagram, his Twitter, and also the uh, website to Extreme Couture MMA where they have all the details for you guys if you wanted to sign up and whatnot or put your kids in there or whatever. 
And uh, and that's it, man. Thank you guys for tuning in. Thanks to Eric Nixick. And uh, I'll see you guys in the next episode, man. Peace.